Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. And this is Todd Black, your host. I am glad to have with me my wife, Julie. How are you doing, Julie? Hello. It's fine. And Leonardo and Una Bella, and their, their ministry is called Israel's Prayer Mission. And they're going to be, uh, first of all, sharing their testimony tonight, and then they're going to be talking a little bit about uh, what their mission is. And I, I have to say from, from uh, just what I heard this afternoon that I know we're not going to be able to cover everything in just one podcast, but uh, I definitely want everybody out there to hear what, what's going on. And uh, so I guess, Leonardo, if you want to start, by sharing your testimony, and then we can hear a little bit from uh, Una and go from there. Beautiful. All right. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, I grew up uh, in New York City, and uh, I'm 61 years old, so I was born in 53 and had... uh, I was born into a secular Jewish household, which some people might know what that means, but just to be clear... Uh, it meant that we skimmed just along the surface, uh, kind of cultural Judaism on the big holidays, Passover and whatnot. We would get together with family, and uh, but it was very detached. I didn't really have a sense of uh, being connected to any of that. My last act of uh, compliance was my bar mitzvah at the age of 13, and then I was off and running into a, a lifestyle of, uh, I was like to call a micro-hippie. <laughs> I was uh, a runaway, I was into drugs, I was pretty much uh, out of control. And the interesting part of that was that uh, I was, like so many people in 1966, 1967, I was seeking. And I think I was seeking for truth. I knew that um, where I came from wasn't... uh, holding out anything for me and I was, you know, desperately looking for some, uh, some depth and I was looking in all the wrong places and, uh, managed to survive that. There was a a long period of, um, learning how to, uh, kind of get along in society after that first episode. I kind of walked somewhat more straight and narrow, line and found myself engaged in, I've been a musician all my life and started when I was about nine or 10. So I was in a uh, full-time uh, band up in Woodstock, New York. I was learning uh, from some great people, enjoying that experience and uh, growing in certain ways, but really uh, never really got those answers I was looking for. And many, many years later, about the age of, I don't know, 28 or 29, I got reconnected in the realm of uh, drugs and this time I really I went down pretty hard and um, I didn't know the Lord but he knew me and I didn't love the Lord but he loved me and uh, I found my first uh, relief from all that insanity through uh, recovery programs and they really did uh, you know keep me breathing (laughs) 
long enough for the miracle to take place. So my life was, I guess you could say, uh, uh, pretty much uh, a mess. And uh, I managed to accomplish a little bit in terms of the professional side of my life. And uh, I kind of was cleaving to that as being the thing that would have meaning in my life. I pursued music and recording and production and kind of took that pretty far but really was without a clue as to who God was, why I was created, and uh, what my giftings were. I was just uh, surviving. Uh, when I met my wife, Una, uh, it was a complete revelation to me, and there were some aspects. She, was from, she is from Jerusalem, and uh, she had grown up in a very different environment from me, still a secular environment, but her uh, connection to uh, the fabric of life was richer and I, I really was attracted to uh, I met a lot of her friends from childhood and her, her family and extended family and really felt quite uh, at home in Israel and we actually I made Aliyah which means I gained my citizenship and together uh, we moved to Israel in 96 1996 and our oldest son Luigi was born there and the Lord was, uh, he was all over. He had a plan that was, was spectacular. I didn't know it. But my first exposure to anything having to do with people who you would call believers, I wouldn't have even known what it was. It's, it's amazing how estranged you can be from that whole uh, cut of uh, society that is the born-again bunch. I didn't know of the expression. I didn't know of the group. I didn't know of... It was just totally off of my radar. But I was invited to come and record uh, a CD of Messianic praise and worship. And uh, I'd go home at night. This is in Israel. I'd go home and tell my wife, you know, if I was ever to become religious, religious is a poor choice of words from this point, but at that point I just meant what it meant, I would want to behave like that, meaning I was exposed to uh, a living witness and uh, it was rich it was good and I didn't uh, call on Yeshua to become my Lord and Savior at that point but there were some seeds planted no doubt and uh, a few years later we had left Israel and a few years later we had um, moved to Hawaii and we didn't know it but there was one family who had uh, chosen to pray for us uh, for our salvation, and that was Una's cousin and his wife and children. And every Shabbat, every Saturday, they would pray. And I don't know what they prayed, but it must have been pretty spectacular because God got his hands on us without any human intervention. Uh, I was, uh, I guess what you'd call a Bible mocker, like many people. I didn't believe that God had ever really given anything by way of revelation in the Word, I hadn't invested myself in looking into it, but the little bit I'd looked at, it was this wasn't from, I uh, might have even been considered a mocker. Uh, but out of uh, the blue, so to speak, I know now it was as a result of prayer, I got myself a Bible and I opened up to the book of Matthew and I started to read two and three hours every day. <clears throat> really every word I was just soaking in every word and over time that means like after a few days and then a week and then weeks I really felt I was being uh, transformed and I was reading about being born again and I told my wife hey I think I'm born again 
And I believe that Jesus, or Yeshua, I was saying Jesus at the time, uh, is my Messiah. And I think I want to be baptized. And these statements were um, very hard for her to hear. Uh, there is a, a reality, which we'll go into when we refer to the mission, but just in broad strokes, uh, the people of Israel, the native-born Sabras, the native-born Israelis, have zero introduction to any aspect of Yeshua which comes from the truth of him. It's only the unfortunate, un, uh, terrible, really, uh, historical facts of the church and the Jewish people that resonate as being significant. So Jews in, in Israel and in most of the world have no room in their hearts or their minds to hear anything about Jesus. And here, Una's husband, me, I'm, I'm going through this transformation by the word, and she's going in the other room and saying, God, if you exist, why are you destroying my life? And she uh, was serious. She really felt I was being swept away. She had to think fast, and her strategy, uh, she felt, was best to just not fight it and hope for it to just kind of pass away. And uh, it was a rich time for me, and I think that some of what I was going through by way of this metamorphosis, this change, uh, there must have been some aroma to it which was attractive, because at a certain point, uh, she asked the universe, because I'm not sure that she believed in God, but she asked the universe a question which made no sense. And the question was, I wonder who Jesus is. And the reason it didn't make sense is because she already had the answer to that question. And it was the uh, answer she'd had all of her life. He's the bad guy. He's the source of all the trouble that the Jews have had uh, through these many centuries with uh, Christians who were... uh, on crusades, you know, rounding up Jews and bringing them into synagogues and burning them down and singing hymns. These are all historical episodes that really happened, and there's so much evidence for the Jewish people uh, that Satan has really uh, done a great job of leading them to the conclusion that Jesus is not ever to be considered. So I'm going to pass this over to Una, because what happened when she asked that beautiful, simple, childlike question, I wonder who Jesus is, what happened next was uh, was stunning. Hello, hello, this is Una. Hello, Una. Hi, Una. Okay, okay. Okay, um, well, what happened to me, of course, I freaked out when Leonardo uh, brought that Bible home. I was really being told all my life that if I was to um, open that book, it's a dangerous book, it's a book that would teach us, you teach me how to hate the Jewish people. And that's the book that taught the, uh, those who had hatred towards the Jewish people and taught them how, how to be, how, what to follow to hate the Jews. So I, I remember as a teenager, we would travel to England and I would open in hotel on the door and see the Gideon Bible and my mom said, close it up, it's a dangerous book. So either way, here we go. We married about three years. And my husband comes back home with this Bible in his hand, so excited, like a little child, to look what I got. And inside me was like, my life is destroyed. Every good thing is finished. And so um, making the decision not to fight it really was because every other 
um, understanding that Leonardo myself had if it's new new age or Buddhism or whatever it's just a fade you you go into it you kind of enjoy it for a season and then it fades away so in my thoughts well well he gets into something new and surely it would fade away so I just wait patiently it would be behind me and I think that's the strongest thing about uh, following Yeshua is that it doesn't fade away it just gets better and better and I think that after I watched him for about two months, plus my cousin was praying for us from Jerusalem, not knowing anything that's going on while we're in Hawaii. So the prayers, plus what my husband reading, really provoked me to a wonder. I don't know if it provoked me to jealousy, but to a true wonder. And so when I asked that night, I said, I wonder who Jesus is. I went to sleep and I totally forgot that I asked, but God didn't. And when I woke up in the morning, I went to the bathroom, washed my face, looked in the mirror, and the other side of the mirror, Jesus stood, breathing, alive, not imagination, not a vision, a complete visitation, just looking at me, he had the crown of thorns, he had the blood on his face, and he had so much love towards me, personally to me, that it like it felt like he was hitting me with the light into my heart. And everything that was closed within me deep deep just open up and I felt I felt like I'm a child again like a child who's just getting into summer vacation and life feels so good that was the that was the presence of him in me and I walked out of the bath and I picked back to look and he was still standing there breathing looking at me with so much love and came out of there saying to myself he's alive Jesus is alive now, I think the way it framed in my mind was anyone who loves Jesus sees him because he's alive. And um, therefore, I had so many questions because I didn't know who he is, what he represents, but I knew that he's alive. So I asked Leonardo, I said, hey, Leonardo, what can I learn more about Jesus? And he said, oh, I said, is there any book about him or movie? He said, no, it's the New Testament. I said, no, thank you. I'm not going to read that. And it wasn't a pride, it was sincere fear. So I asked the universe questions about Jesus, and Jesus came and visited and, and taught me the answer to the question. So I had six months and about 11 questions, and each one was personally revealed by him. And I tell you, I, I thought that's what means to be a Christian. That one means if you fall in love with Jesus and you follow him, that's what happens. He comes and teaches you. And and it was about, uh, I think maybe four months into it when we met other Christians. So it was the first time in our life that we met other Christians that I realized that that wasn't the case. And um, the question that I asked are the questions that anyone who will minister today in Israel, and these are the questions that they ask. How big is he? Why is it, why are the rabbis can't see him? What do you mean we are sinners? And how could he die for you? And what is it to be born again? And um, what is his relationship to God? And so on and on. So I'll say that uh, obviously I don't see him anymore, but his presence is better than seeing him. I think the reason he showed uh, himself so profoundly to me is that because of our ministry today. Wow. That's incredible. And you know, here and there we meet, it happens to, I think mainly Jews 
Jewish people and Muslims who have the, the revelation of seeing Jesus holding his hand, talking to him, that brings them to faith. And here and there, every, when we, we share our testimony, somebody, usually Jewish, who comes to later and says, excuse me, can I share with you? When I was seven, this happened. When I was 17, and I'm, definitely I'm, I'm not the only one. And there is a story about a lady in uh, one of the Arab countries Jesus appeared to her for 30 days, and then he stopped. She, she ran to, she was looking for a church to run in, and she said, you know, I'm, in a, I'm a sinner. And he said, what happened? She said, I don't know, but he stopped showing up. <laughs> so, it's, uh, when uh, we share it with uh, my person specifically with the unsaved Israelis, to them it feels like we uh, an invitation to the invisible realm. They really believe it. And they say, whoa, you're telling us about a world that we did not know that exists. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I think I'm going to pass it to Leonardo, and uh, maybe can uh, take it from here to share about our ministry. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Una and myself had a, um, like a parallel road, you know, her experiences... I knew she was going through them, but they weren't mine. They were hers, and I was deep in the Word, and she wasn't yet in the Word. She's very much so now. And this was 15 years ago um, in the year 2000. So we, God was very gracious in that it wasn't like, you know, we have this hu- husband and wife team, and then all of a sudden one of us gets saved and the other doesn't. It was about a nine-month courtship. It's very significant um, to us, at least, <laughs> that he kind of walked us across a bridge. It was a courtship in that we knew there was something attractive. We wanted to know more, but we didn't know all the fullness and the implications of the covenant. And when we did, it was definitely a yes and an amen, and we were baptized. And at that point, we were clear on what it meant to be born again, and we were saying yes on all accounts to his lordship in our life and to his redeeming sacrifice and all of it. So we had, I mentioned earlier today when we spoke, we had a uh, almost a textbook uh, first phase, beautiful, beautiful zealousness to share with everyone that we would meet and surely with people that knew us well, the fullness of the excitement of uh, for knowing him. And uh, a few things I'll mention, A, we were prayed into the kingdom, that was significant, B, I was 46 years old and had never had a gospel witness and uh, see (laughs) that there was this period of time, this courtship. um, All of these very much come into play in the ministry we have now. So let me describe that ministry and then we'll we'll be able to put how God uh, wired us to receive him and how he wired us to move forward in his time uh, in ministry. So, the ministry is called the Israel Prayer Mission. It wasn't called that when we started because we didn't know it was a ministry. We just knew that something significant had happened. And this was a instance where we were going along. I mentioned that first phase, two years of, I don't know if it's two years, but two years of significant, zealous, kind of unstoppable, childlike uh, joy that... Uh, we just shared everywhere we went, and then slowly we became uh, 
compliant or, you know, is gently lulled, not completely to sleep, but into kind of a comfortable days. And I think a lot of people, they want to be uh, made to feel comfortable and to them to be stimulated for however long they're in church for a few hours each week to, to grow in the word, of course. But um, and then to, you know, integrate, obviously, their faith into their lives. But uh, the struggle, you know, Satan does have a uh, uh, say in these things in terms of the allure of the things of the world. So we slowly um, succumb to uh, that kind of easy desert approach. And for about 10 years, we were just on coast. And from time to time, we would share our faith. But uh, the way we would describe it then, and it's legitimate, but we would say, you know, when the Holy Spirit presses on us and it's the right time, of course we share. And we did. There were times, <laughs> a couple of few times a year maybe, if that, where all uh, roads came together, everything was a go, the person had a heart to listen, and we were able to share by the Spirit uh, in the fullness of, of our faith. And that is legitimate, and it's a good and beautiful thing. But, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of people we might meet in the course of a year never heard anything from us. And when we would travel to Israel as um, born-again Jewish people, as Messianic Jews, uh, again, most of the people who know us and love us knew that we'd gone, say, crazy for Jesus. Uh, but we didn't share a whole lot with words, and we thought, and I believe it's true, that you need to have a valid witness. You need to show fruit. There has to be something beyond your talk that points the way. So we, for about 10 years, witnessed uh, St. Francis style, that is, without words. And probably could have continued like that, uh, uh, who knows, forever. But God uh, engineered a meeting with a gentleman who's Israeli, who we met in Dallas, and he had a, a childlike zeal like what we had, but his just never went away. And he knew something that was truth, but we had perhaps forgotten it. And what he knew is that there's nothing unclean in the gospel. For a Jewish person, although they might take offense, there is no offense. There is no offense in it. And so there's no reason to go into the soft door or the back door when it comes to Jewish ministry. And he, even at his own mother's funeral, um, shared with great uh, focus and, and real anointing of the Holy Spirit, shared the truth of Yeshua to a large group of Orthodox Jews who probably were never going to hear it otherwise. And they wanted to throw him into the hole with his mom, but the point is uh, we hadn't met someone like that before, and that so-called chance meeting back in 2011 changed the course of our lives. We, uh, that is Una and myself, were in Texas with him. The next day we're driving back to Tennessee where we were living and said to Una, I don't think we'll be the same again. I, I, excuse me, I said, I don't think I'll ever be the same again. And she said, me too. And it started to grow on us this burden to return to Israel to share intentionally with all of the people that we have uh, lifetime history with, that we have credibility with, that we are a credible witness to, and that is Una's and her immediate family, extended family, and her lifelong friend. And that was about 100 people when we made the list. 
And we had a, a very, um, you know, sometimes someone says something and it's brilliant and it's straight from the Lord, but it doesn't have a thus say of the Lord attached to it. It just rolls off the tongue. And in this case, it was a messianic rabbi in Knoxville who said, hey, if you're going and you're going to spend 100 plus days in the land sharing with all these people, maybe you need to find one person to cover each one of them, that is the unsaved Israelis, in prayer. And we said, that's brilliant, we love it, we'll make the list, and we'll start um, putting feelers out for individuals who would make a kind of a covenant-level commitment, a real serious, yes, I will pray every day from now until you go and during your trip for breakthrough. And so we made the list, we made a little bit of an index card. Back then it was that simple. Just a beautiful, simple introduction to each person. Uh, that would give you two or three or four sentences, that give you a sense of who it is you're praying for. And back then, in, say, version 1.0 of the Israel Prayer Mission, it was always one individual praying from here from the States, praying for one individual unsaved Israeli. That's since changed. I'll, we'll describe that later. But at that point, the people we asked responded with tears. They said, you have no idea. We've been praying for Israel, the nation, for years. We've been praying for the salvation of Israel. But to have actual names and know that you're going to visit these people, your beloved, and you're going to share, we're so up for this. And uh, we were greatly encouraged. And it was all kind of a series of miracles that even allowed We have five children, and we needed to uh, make a 100-plus-day trip with a family of seven. And we weren't exactly, you know, rolling in dough. We, we didn't even know that we could get there. But we were just told, focus on the vision. God will provide the provision. And in this case, he did it dramatically and very much in a way that he made it clear that it was purely him. And we'd also that year been through a great flood in Nashville, Tennessee, lost everything we owned and our home and everything was turned upside down. And there were redemption stories on the other side of that. So we were just armed with these testimonies of how we got there, of what we'd been through with the flood. And um, we went to uh, the land. We took a couple of days to kind of catch our breath and get over our jet lag. And then we unfolded the list, the 100, and we looked at the list. And practically everyone on that list, to us, it looked like it had to be a train wreck, a total disaster. Uh, These are people who we love and we respect. But for the most part, they were very far off from God, either atheists, God-haters, or at least so unengaged and surely not interested in hearing about this Jesus. So, you know, all of the kind of glow went off us from, we said, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster, unless, and that's a big unless, unless people who said they're praying are really praying. And... um, indeed exactly uh, what we needed. We needed these prayers to be breaking strongholds, to be tilling the soil of hearts, to be giving people ears to hear, to a complete breakthrough in the heavenlies, how to precede these visits. And it did. And as we went from one to the next to the next to the next, through the entire 100, we were incredibly overwhelmed at the power of God to turn what seemed to be a disaster into a series of tearful acknowledgments that what we were sharing, as they would sometimes put it, you're telling us about a world that did not know existed. 
like they literally felt heaven touching earth. And, uh, you know, they, I don't know who is listening to this podcast, but let it suffice to say that native-born Israelis, there's six million plus, and there's a very small number of believers in Israel, maybe 20,000, and perhaps a tiny fraction of that, two or three or 4,000 who were born in the land. So for them, it was like, you know, we can't betray. I mean, we, we can't believe in other gods. And we'd say, no, 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 you don't understand. You have to describe the Trinity. And, you know, only by the grace of God were we able to begin to address some of these major, major objections and strongholds of thought. But the, we would send uh, reports out to the group, simple uh, email blasts that were about three or four pages long, recounting the conversations. Maybe we had visited three, four, five people, and we would make a detailed report. We called it a field report. And it gave those who were praying uh, uh, inside the room uh, understanding of what was taking place, where we were seeing breakthrough, where the strongholds still were, how they could pray strategically. And in essence, the model never changed. Uh, the number of people changed. We, after that first year, we, we left. We thought, okay, we did what we came to do. But at the same time, we looked at each other and knew, like we knew, like we knew, that we were in mid-conversation with people, that eternal fruit was in the offing, but that God was going to move. Our obedience would be to return as soon as we could and to uh, bring people on board to pray. And uh, we also knew that... Um, uh, everyone who was being prayed for is represented by tens of thousands of people who had the same breakthrough. So we would say, hey, look, pray for these individuals, but know that you can break those strongholds. God knows. He hears. He wants, your, he wants all of us to participate in what he's doing. And then something else became very, very clear, and it was a beautiful um, confirmation we saw in the scripture in Matthew twenty-three thirty-nine is. Yeshua is speaking to the people of Jerusalem and saying, you who have stoned the prophet, how I wish I could gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks. And then he said, but you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And from that straightforward, non-poetic uh, promise that Jesus will not return, Yeshua will not return until the people the Jewish people cry out, blessed is he. And then everything made sense. We started to understand that these strongholds, that the history going all the way back to Haman, and then this the history that we recounted earlier of disasters done in the name of Jesus <clears throat> was a plot, was a plan, was a, I call it the Sistine Chapel of Lies, was laid over the Jewish people to keep them from ever being able to consider the Messiah. And Satan's plan deluxe was, if he could, simply eradicate the people group. And, you know, there were numerous efforts from the time of Haman and the time of Pharaoh and then Hitler and recently Ahmadinejad. And there's been this plan. Satan has, uh, that's his A plan, I suppose, just eliminate them. It makes God a liar because he said he would preserve the Jewish people until the stars fall from the sky. And... Um, then there'll be no one to call the Lord back. And in lieu of that plan, his, I guess, B plan is simply to make it, and anyone who's ever had a 
strong, you know, uh, relationship with a Jewish person who they, you know, really felt like it's time to share. And it's just uh, almost a blank, it's like they can't hear the words. It's like a stupor, um, a complete no. And, of course, you know, God moves and people like us are reached and people are reached every day and there are quite a few Jewish people who have come to faith, but it's an incredibly, well, it's, actually it's an incredible privilege uh, to co-labor with God in anything. And we don't see this ministry to Israel as being uh, the only thing that needs to get done because the whole world does need to be reached. And, and we always encourage people as we go around recruiting people to pray for Jewish salvations. We encourage them to keep their burden for wherever God has placed the burden in their heart. But to add this special piece, because there's a great uh, rift, a tremendous valley between where we are and where we need to get to, and the prayers of the saints are really starting to um, be acknowledged. We're starting to see salvations in Israel. That is, in the small group we're ministering to, it's grown to about 150 people that we're reaching out to regularly. We go every year for between three and six months, and we no longer have a home. For the last four years, we've traveled year-round when we're out of Israel, uh, speaking in churches and in home groups and Messianic congregations, teaching on the strongholds, often uh, exhorting people to live their lives as overcoming believers so that, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't wish something for someone and pray for someone's breakthrough if you haven't had that breakthrough yourself or if you don't remember the fullness of that. So, you know, it's a real team. Uh, people, about 4,000 have signed on so far. Right now, tomorrow, we're heading to England for a month, Russia for six weeks, and then Israel for six months. And uh, there's just a beautiful um, unfolding of God's plan. It's it's not a big thing we're doing. It's very much at the kitchen table. There's a lot of uh, those folks who have been praying will come to Israel. They'll contact us. We'll get to uh, visit folks together. I mean, it's very organic. Uh, it's it's very a beautiful uh, package deal that the Lord has put together. Well, you know, one of the things that the Bible says is those that bless Israel will be blessed. Amen. And uh, so the people listening right now, what can they do to be able to help you and, and receive that blessing that you, that you will be receiving and that your wife will re- be receiving? <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, it's... Our passion is to bring people who uh, love the Lord together in, into this mission. Now, there's a uh, ordinarily we share in person, like I mentioned, churches, home groups, and the like. Uh, there is a website, if I may give it. It's www.israelprayermission.com. And uh, on that website is information about us and everything you've already heard, but there's also a a Join the Prayer Team page, and there's a way to sow financially uh, on that website as well. Uh, Very much we're desiring to hear from people, and they can email us uh, either directly from the website or at israelprayermission at gmail.com. 
about coming and sharing with their groups. And we do travel a lot. We have now people in China and in Australia that we've never met. And there's, I think, 18 houses of prayer that have been put together in and around China and Australia by one woman who heard of what this was, and she started translating everything into Chinese. And uh, we just came back from Mexico, and everything we're doing is being translated into Spanish. And there are people now in Africa. And uh, so we're, you know, we travel with the kids, and people want to talk about coming together in person. We're always excited to, you know, hear where God's sending us next, and it's always in relationship to, it's not so much preaching, it's, it's very practical. We're recruiting individuals for this prayer army, and uh, we're keeping the information flowing at all times. This year we've sent out, uh, we call them weekly prayer journeys, and it's got three pictures of people we're ministering to with, with uh, one-paragraph profiles. When we get back to Israel in October, we'll be sending prayer, uh, again, these field reports, so anyone who jumps on board who hasn't physically, you know, sat with us in a room, it's not like they're necessarily missing anything. <laughs> they can come on board, and, uh, you know, if if someone does come on to sign online, they'd ask them how they heard about us, um, if they're connected to a local body, or, you know, just a few questions so we'll know who's contacting us. And if they leave a phone number, uh, and, you know, do the rest of the sign-on, sometimes we'll call and try to have a conversation, get on the same page like that. So it's all very accessible. Well, that, that's cool. Once again? I said that's that's cool. That, yeah. uh, I just wanted okay. to add that the people in Israel that we minister to, they all know that uh, they receive prayers from all over the world. And uh, it's fascinating to watch them because they know that every year we come, it's been five years, every year we come and we do life for three to six months in Israel. And then we, we leave and we go around the world, finding those who have a heart to stand in a gap uh, to lift up prayers on their behalf. And then we come back to Israel and often they ask, so who else is praying for us? And where else have you been? And what is their prayer team looks like now? And um, it's a real team. I would say that the, those who pray are equally important in this ministry as us who go forward. Because honestly, without the prayers, there's no breakthrough. And often we say, oh, pray for me, or pray this, or pray that. But here we see that uh, when people receive the people we send them and a little bit information, what stops, say, my brother from from receiving Yeshua as his own Lord, God adds his, uh, his touch. And somehow, most people, when they get, say, a picture once a week, they say it's it, like touch the heart. They can't forget about the person. They God is making that person in Israel real to their heart, and they start praying with God's love. Because you know, if we don't know the God, if I don't know that God loves me, I can't trust Him. I, because how could I trust my husband if he if I don't feel his love? And I think the same applies if I ask somebody to pray, say for a very close friend in uh, Tel Aviv, and 
they look at the picture and he doesn't touch them whatsoever. And like, oh, I don't know, I got other things to do. So God adds his special uh, spice here and he puts love in complete strangers over these people in Israel. And what melts, I think, the most, those unsaved Israelis, is that people take the time around the world to pray for them. And you know, they give us this little smile. It's like almost a chuckle. And they look at us and their eyes glow and they say, say thank you from us, okay? Tell them thank you. And we have, since this, this year is the first year we have seen salvation. After five years of collecting so many individuals who say, yes, I'll pray. And so many people really standing firm and faithful to believe that God will bring the salvation for five years. And endless time we spend with them in Israel. And this year, for the first time, we had had four salvations. And guess what? The people who get saved, guess what they want to know, for, what they want to do the first thing. They want to write a thank you note for all those who prayed for them. And those who received these emails, you know, around the, about 4,000 people praying now. Each one who received, say, we had a gentleman named Ophel who got saved and said, gosh, all these people prayed for me. i got to write them. When those uh, faithful saints received his email, people wrote back to us. They, they could not stop crying, knowing that God heard the prayers. And the other thing, you know, the biggest thing, of course, is salvation. But the little miracles that we see say somebody had a really bad job and then we're telling her you know don't forget you have people around the world praying for you and then we're coming back the next year and ask her how she's doing she said oh i got a great job i said how come so well you told me people are praying for me i'm not alone so i got a better job so those little miracles um really melts everybody's heart because on this side on the side and out of israel when we realize that God hears our prayers on behalf of these unsaved Jews, that means that God hears our prayers, period. And people who did not have a lifestyle of praying now start adopting praying in every element of their life. So I would say revival come from talking to God, not as a group, but one by one, because that makes him our first love. And, of course, God loves Israel because that's his, these are the apple of his eye. So somehow this uh, mission links together two things. It links love and it directly to God, but that love goes on behalf of those who have to open their eyes to call upon his name so our Messiah will come back. Well, when they find out y'all are praying for them and, and people all around the world are praying for them, I mean, that's love right there. So I can see how that would just melt the hardest hearts, to, yes. you know, because they, they realize, you know, that, that uh, when somebody, you know that somebody's really praying for you, you know that somebody really cares. Amen. And, you know, probably... Um that's a very, very perspective. But when we grew up, when I grew up in Israel, we we used we got comfortable, even though it's very uncomfortable. We got comfortable with the concept that we're all alone, because you know the whole concept of Israel. It's a safe place for for us Jews because everybody everywhere else we we're not safe, but we're alone, and so that concept that somebody's praying for them 
really makes the notion that they're not alone. Oh, I can see that. It was the most profound last year in the war over Gaza. You know, there was so much criticism in the news. It's really so bad, it's really so bad. But then we would turn on the people we minister to, which is about 150 people, but you know you're not alone. You're so not alone. You are so loved. And they'll be like, what? So don't forget, you have thousands of people praying for you individually. You're not alone. And then we ask people throughout the world to write them letters to express that they're really not alone. And I tell you, this letter melted so many hearts because it's one thing to say, hey, so-and-so in Australia is praying for you. But when you get an email from Mr. John in Australia saying, I've been praying for you every night now and I want you to know, God Almighty, you do not believe in yet. It's with you, watching you, and you're going to be all right. People were, could not forget these letters. Well, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to decree right now that it doesn't matter what we see on our news media and what is being said by even the President of the United States. America loves Israel. America loves the Jewish people. And we mm-hmm. support them 100%. And you know, yes, you may have a handful of people that are over here controlling the media or whatever, but that's not the heart of America. Amen. I agree. We were just asked this evening by our host here in uh, Philadelphia, what is our favorite thing? She asked each of our kids, what is our favorite thing about traveling and what is our least favorite? And uh, my answer was my favorite is traveling around the world, finding the remnant pockets of people who not only love God with all the soul, the might, but they love Israel with all the God. And so uh, each time, you know, when we're in different places, I call my mom and say, we just came from another home gathering. I tell you what, they love you there. <laughs> and uh, it's really beautiful because that's what God does. I think when God looks from a heavenly perspective into the earth, he doesn't it doesn't bug him that much what Satan is doing through the people. What he sees is how many people really love him. Amen. Well, that's it from us. <laughs> yeah, this has been very good, and and we'll we'll have to do a follow up sometime to uh, you know find out where else it's going and and all that. Julie, did you have any questions you wanted to ask? No, I've just been on this side praying. Beautiful. Hey, we have a question. Okay, go ahead. Did you mention that you have an audience in Scotland? Uh, My understanding is that a radio station over there picked us up and has started playing our... uh, podcast over there so that's beautiful well then this goes out to all of you saints up in scotland (laughs) we're going to be in the midlands of england for a month starting tomorrow Uh, so basically the whole month of august we would love to visit scotland so please 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 uh, ask the lord if you're supposed to extend an invitation and know that we're looking out for uh, that visit when the time comes that's wonderful praise god 
We are on an adventure. I have to just mention to you that uh, we're not, we leave ourselves very, very vulnerable. We've traveled now for like the five years we mentioned, but only in the last two years did we leave the Lord an incredibly large birth. We just do the minimal amount of planning, and then he's been filling in our dance cards, so to speak. Really, sometimes at the very last second, we could keep ourselves busy, but what happens when we're open and available and uh, just you know, open-hearted to how the Lord wants to use time, it's been tremendous. So we're leaving for a trip, and already the people we're speaking to over there say, oh, yeah, we can do this and we'll do that. But in terms of, like, putting all the dot, dots in the map and just going, we stop doing that. And we find that God loves to keep us on the edge of our seat, and at the same time he makes it be very clear that he's stepped in yet again to bring people together for his purposes and his way and his timing. So all that to say uh, yes and amen to uh, all that he's doing right now. Well, we okay. look forward to uh, watching the, or looking up the website, too, and, and seeing the pictures of the people that need prayer and uh, the testimonies. This will be... Um, Uh, a blessing. Another, yes, this yeah. will be a blessing. Okay. Fantastic. Well, for both of you and for all of your audience as well, uh, when you go to the website, you'll only get bare bones because we don't uh, put out information unless someone's on the prayer team. So all you need to do, and this will be for the two of you and anyone else, is go on that website, israelprayermission.com. Go to the Join the Prayer Team page. Fill out the form, and uh, away we go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, well we I will think that's wonderful. Keep it from there. Yeah. Speaking of prayer, say, go ahead, yes, Julie. I was just going to say that this is a great opportunity because I've heard Sid Roth talk about his vision before and what God gave him about sending out books, uh, Think for Yourself, yeah. um, to specific targeted uh, Jewish families mm-hmm. and I had always had that on my heart so I told my husband today before we we've been discussing with you I said I called him in the middle of the afternoon and I said are you you must be praying for me I said because I keep having this fiery fiery heat it's not heat. It was actually fire that would go through my heart, but my left side of my body all wow. afternoon. And I called him. I said, Todd, are you praying for me? And he said, no, it probably has to do with the interview that we're having tonight. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know exactly what the Lord is doing, but uh, connecting our hearts, I'd say. Amen. Yes. Uh, yes. It and and giving me more of a heart to pray because I do love to pray. So blessing to you and may God just order your footsteps and open up all the wonderful doors He intends to. That's Praise what I'm going to Lord. say. And, and before you leave, Leonardo, I'd like you to pray over the audience and also sure. pray over you know anybody that will be Jewish listening to this podcast. All right. Thank you, thank you, will do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have uh, beautiful plans, Father, for all of your children, Lord, that you've uh, shown yourself to be the lover of 
of your creation by sending your son Yeshua, that this is something so outside of uh, our understanding and so we literally can see the salvation that's been bought for us as individuals. Lord, we thank you. For all those who are listening, Father God, who have uh, taken this blood transfusion and have now Yeshua in their hearts, Lord, that uh, they would be encouraged to know that uh, they can make a difference. Every relationship that they have, Lord God, has been designed by you as an opportunity for life to be added to life. So, Lord, I pray for the folks in this listening audience that have unsafe family, that have dear friends, lifelong friends, uh, that they're not to um, uh, turn or from the left or to the right, but just know that uh, you indeed have created these relationships so that they can witness. And I'm just uh, encouraged, Father, to know that uh, many people in these last days are, are really taking it seriously, that uh, this gift is given with only one condition, that we're to follow that great commission to make disciples. So I pray that all of us will bring heaven, the kingdom of heaven, here to earth where others can touch it, feel it, taste it, know that it is good. And, uh, Father, I just pray for a beautiful unity for the body. I think it's another condition, Lord, that you are seeking so much this that your children would play together well. Father, we pray for that. And uh, just for uh, creativity in the way that people uh, step out, out of the box, serve an out-of-the-box God and uh, that uh, your love, Father, will be uh, deeply felt in hearts that never considered you for a moment, that many will come to faith. In the beautiful name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, well thank you. I guess that's a wrap.